This is weather and climate chat with your hosts, Campus Weather Gurus Monsoon Mike Regs and Department of Geography Professor Dr. Michael Davis. Discussing past, present, and future weather, along with climate topics of the day. All right, welcome to another weather and climate chat. Uh, wow, I say another like we just recorded one recently, but actually it's been a very long time. I can't even remember the last time uh, Dr. Davis and I recorded one of these, but uh, uh, important times call for important uh, gatherings of thought. And uh, we are now recording another weather and climate chat on this year, 21st of July of the year 2022 AD. Dr. Davis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back and uh, happy 2022, because I believe this might be our first recording of 2022. I think it actually might be. I could not find anything. I could not find any uh, hard evidence that we recorded in 2022. So a lot to talk about. We promised to not, you know, bore you folks with too much stuff, you know, looking back in retrospect, but uh, we will we will a little bit. And I wanted to start off with, you know, of course, what, what's in front of us right now is uh, the heat. Uh, we're in the midst of uh, a six to seven ish day long heat wave. Uh, so uh, stay cool, yep. stay and, hydrated and stay safe. And the uh, furnace doors are opening here. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, you, you know, everybody knows anybody who knows me well knows that summer is far from my favorite season, but I also try to be fair as well. And I will share some, this interesting statistic that uh, I got from uh from uh, ABC 27 in Harrisburg. They have a, a good team of meteorologists there and uh, um, they, uh, they shared that up until, now keep in mind, this is until prior to this heat wave that just began. Uh, and, and we are just about halfway through meteorological summer now, a little bit over halfway. Uh, so up until this heat wave began, we only had uh, 10 90 degree days thus far, which was the lowest since 2014 at Harrisburg airport. The average temperature for summer was 74.4, which was the coolest since 2015. And we had, this is the part that I liked the most so far. Of course, this all went to hell in a handbasket. But uh, we had 40 nights cooler than 70 degrees, which was the most since 2009. And I, I, I enjoyed that because I, I had a, I remember I even recorded one night in the 40s in June. Uh, and that was definitely my kind of weather. But I knew that when we had payback, it was not going to be pretty. And we're getting our payback now. <laughs> and yes, uh, yes we are. <laughs> getting our payback now. And not only is it uh, extremely hot out, it's also quite dry. Uh, I don't want to quite throw the D word around too much yet, but you could be starting to look at a little, little concerning at this point. Um, it's uh, ABC 27 once again saying driest start to July since 2002. So that's a little concerning. We do need rain and we've had, had had some thunderstorms here and there, but nothing organized, nothing that's lasted for more than a little while. So Dr. Davis, what, what flipped? I mean, what, what made us go from a fairly tolerable summer to hell in a handbasket overnight? I think it's largely from more or less the amount of energy that's building in the atmosphere from just us going into the summer. And what has also happened is down in the desert Southwest and Southern US right now, we have something known as a heat dome mm -hmm. that's sitting in place, which is more or less the air not moving and the air just keeps heating up and heating up and heating up. And they get temperatures in the hundreds, 110s, maybe up to 120. 
And since we're looking at our particular location in North America and that being kind of to our west, the prevailing winds coming from the westerly direction, it's blowing all that hot air this way. Now, we do get some moderation from the Great Lakes and the Atlantic, so it doesn't get as hot as it could be. But that heat dome is starting to move a little bit eastward. And by the end of this week into early next week, it could be very close to where we are. And I was seeing temperatures in the upper 90s, maybe even pushing 100 by uh, early next week. Just looking at the National Weather Service's forecast for the Kutztown zip code, uh, 92 today, uh, 91 tomorrow, Friday. We have a very weak cool front moving through. So we lost it. We're going to lose a whole degree from that cool front. So yay, cool front. <laughs> um, Saturday, but 93, Sunday, 95. Uh, and it looks like we finally start to break it uh, next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Highs 87, 85, and 88, which is a little more normal. I looked up normal for this time of year is 87. So, um, hey, if we get an 85 next Tuesday, that'd even be a degree or two below normal. So I think everybody will appreciate that <laughs> uh, for as long or as short as it as it lasts. If they can perceive it. <laughs> if you can perceive it, yes. It's hard to tell sometimes with uh, the dew points uh, being so elevated. One, I, I did hear one interesting thing. The National Weather Service State College uh, in their discussion a couple of days ago, uh, they had an interesting point that I never thought of. Uh, they mentioned that uh, dew points, of course, we live in a very humid you know, part of the country, uh, but dew points this this particular summer have not been too terrible. Uh, they've been bad, but not like too like ready to drop dead type terrible, partially because it's been so dry and, and there's not a whole lot of moisture in the ground or anywhere. So uh, that actually as unfortunate it is as it, as it is not getting rain may help us a little bit in it. The dew points are not quite as bad because it's just so parched out there and we do need some rain. Uh, and hopefully we get some rain sometime soon. Yeah. And I actually have a student that's looking at the amount of time that Pennsylvania has stayed in uh, dew points higher than 70 degrees Fahrenheit. She's working on paper on it right now. Yeah. And, and uh, we, we, we discussed that last year, how last year was an extremely high dew point summer. And uh, we were discussing if we're seeing an upward trend in dew points in this area. So, you know, that I'll be interested to read that study when your student is done. Uh, look her on. To yeah, talk please about do. It. Please do. Uh, looking at the Climate Prediction Center, I'll just uh, really uh, quickly share my screen with you here. Um uh, yeah, and we're going to six to 10 day leaning above average. Uh, looks like if you want to cool down, you want to head to the, uh, Dakotas, upper Minnesota looks a little below normal. So, so good for them. Uh, this is encouraging news precipitation wise, uh, six to 10 day looks a little above average chances of precipitation, the eight to 14 day again, leaning warm, uh, and again, above average chances, slightly above average chances for precipitation. So, not sure what they're seeing there, but that's encouraging. Maybe we uh, we will get some much needed rain over the uh, the coming near future. One month outlook, well above normal. Three month outlook, yeah, same deal. Uh, and with precipitation a little on the above side, so maybe things will turn a little wetter for this second half of 
uh, meteorological summer. We definitely could, uh, could use it. Um, just looking at the GFS, you know, looking out, you know, 14 days or so, not a whole lot going on through the weekend. Um, cold front comes through Monday, Tuesday, ish might get some much needed rain finally, then, um, maybe some more instability beyond that. So yeah, encouraging, encouraging that we might uh, be breaking this, uh, extremely dry pattern sometime soon, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see where, where that all goes. Um, so yeah, I mean, backing up a little further before we get into our topics, uh, we haven't talked since this winter. Uh, so how was, what, what would you, you know, I, I don't have any statistics in front of me right now, Dr. Davis, but, uh, it was a fairly not snow free or snow less winter, but definitely on the lower average side of, of snowfall. Yeah. I don't believe we had many significant snowstorms. We may have had a handful of ones that produced several inches of snow, but I, yeah, I can't remember any one really aren't that stick out to me right now. I can't remember any one particular snowstorm that accumulated more than six inches. You know, I think that was like the highest at any one particular snowstorm, which to me as a snow fan was disappointing because I, I don't consider a decent snowstorm until we get up to, <laughs> up in the 10, 12 inch range. But, you know, well, you know, we, we had a fairly uh, snow lacking winter, not snow free, but low, low snow lacking what does all this mean for this coming winter? Who knows? You and I are not really in the business of long range forecasting. We'll let the uh, other, other folks out there take a stab at that, but uh, we'll see. Um, Want to get into, you know, we, we've got a lot of topics to discuss climate wise. So without further ado, I think we've just got to really uh, hammer right into these topics because so much has happened that we've got to talk about uh, since we last spoke and just even just in the past month or so. Uh, first topic you gave me, of course, has been the intense heat. Uh, London having their all-time highest uh, reading ever of 104.5 degrees, I think is what it converted from Celsius. Broke it uh, by three degrees Fahrenheit. And it, so they didn't just go a little over. They went past it. Yeah. A- average high temperature this time of year in London, I looked it up, is like 75-ish, 77, somewhere around there. So that was a good, you know, 20, 25 degrees above average. Only 5% of homes in, in that area have air conditioning because generally they haven't needed it, <laughs> but yeah, uh, they were suffering uh, pretty badly. Fortunately for our, our friends in London, things are a little more normal now. I think the last time I checked, temperatures were closer to 80. So I, that the heat has broken a little bit there, but 104.5, I mean, that's, that's, scary for an area that has is not really prepared for that um, and you had wildfires mm-hmm. that were within london themselves you had the infrastructure failing runways melting for instance and you had further down toward the south in spain and portugal thousands of deaths from the heat there because it was just as hot uh france is also seeing a lot of that heat as well, uh, going back to the days of the two, uh, 2003 uh, heat wave that killed almost uh, 30,000 in France at that uh, particular event. So heat is a problem. And this one is certainly more anomalous, but I think we're stacking the deck so they do become more frequent. And 
and brought up about, oh, this isn't so much different than the heat wave of 1976. But if you look at the maps of the temperature anomalies, there are very isolated pockets around Europe and the Great Lakes region of North America. If you look at what temperatures are doing this year, it's much more red, much higher magnitude of temperature, and much broader scope with pretty much the entire northern hemisphere uh, coated in a warmer than average temperature. And when you look at Oklahoma, for instance, the Oklahoma mesonet that's been around for almost 30 years, every single station in their 120 station network measured a temperature of 103 degrees Fahrenheit or higher on Tuesday. And they set their uh, record high that they've observed at 115 Fahrenheit. So that's the heat dome. And when you get these formations, largely from a weakening of the jet streams due to the polar regions being warmer, so you have less in the way of temperature differential, less in the way of winds, the jet stream can become split. And when that happens, you have this area between the jets that just heats up and heats up and heats up. And if there's no movement of the winds because they're so weak, it just sits there for days on end and just keeps perpetuating itself. It's not the when it comes to heat waves, the first day or the second day of the heat waves that do all the damage in terms of uh, life lost, energy, power outages, and so forth, it's that compounding nature of day three, day four, day five, day six. So if you have these long persisting events, you're going to have instances like what we're observing right now with thousands of deaths, looking at infrastructure failing, looking at wildfire, looking at blackouts, looking at people concerned about using too much energy. And it's even a more vicious cycle because if you do run your AC, you need energy for that, which is then going to be coming from the burning of fossil fuels more than likely, which is then further heating the planet. I just said that the other day on my Facebook page. I said that. So uh, my theory, my theory or concern was that if these kind of heat waves keep happening in the UK, like what they've had this year and in recent years, you're going to have more people that are in, in in the UK are going to be looking for air conditioners. I'm like, okay, well, this is the new this is the new normal. So let's let's all put air conditioners in our windows. All those air conditioners are going to be running electricity, and all that electricity is going to be burning more fossil fuels and more damage to the to the climate. So there it's a terrible, vicious cycle. And the other factor that goes into all this is the source of energy. Cause the UK, for instance, doesn't have a lot of coal. In fact, I believe they exhausted most of it. So they yeah. rely lo- mostly on uh, natural gas wow. and yeah, they could be going more renewables. But then if you're starting to go into more of the fossil fuels with natural gas or oil, they're probably getting it from a local or more regional producer, which wouldn't you know it probably is Russia. Mm. And then with Russia mm. and what's going on in the Ukraine right now, you see these energy prices spiking. If you didn't have that reliance on 
those fossil fuels than in going renewables, then this sort of pain that you're feeling at the pump, for instance, or for energy costs, wouldn't be quite so high. Yeah. It's it, it, like I said, it, it's a vicious circle of sorts, but it's all connected. Uh, and it, it's, it's collect, connected so like clearly that it's almost like mind boggling that we're, we're, we're still like trying to figure out the solutions to these problems when the solutions are like right and, there in front of our eyes. And 99% of the world, I would say, is probably can see this. The other yeah. 1% is the ones that are in power or wealthy yeah, and yeah. don't want to change anything. Right. Well, let's talk about that. So that was the perfect uh, dovetail into the next thing. Yeah, that though that one percent that's in power that's making things worse. What can we say about the SCOTUS right now? The Supreme Court of the United States. I mean, they just did a uh, horrifically horrible thing. Well, they did several horrible things, not even related to climate. You know, uh, women's rights and uh, all kinds of stuff. But uh, we're we're keeping it climate related here on, on the on the show. Um, they did something horrible uh, for, for the climate uh, before their recess. Tell us a little bit about that. So the Supreme Court pretty much voted six to three against uh, basically the EPA's ability to regulate uh, carbon emissions coming from power plants. And this was from uh, EPA versus West Virginia. And the court said that Anytime an agency does something big and new, in this case, addressing climate change, the regulation is presumptively invalid unless Congress has specifically authorized regulating. Mm. And Congress has not done that. And they are so dysfunctional right now that they probably would not do that. So therefore, in essence, what they did was tell the government that they cannot regulate the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere. How is that going to stop climate change? How is that going to have get us information as to whether we're being successful or not in addressing our emissions if we don't have that data? It's not. It's flat no. out not. But, but, but the thing is, is that those six judges of that six to three majority probably don't believe in climate change. It's not an issue to them. It's all a cycle. It's all fake. It's all, you know, hoax. So it's, they don't, they don't need that data. So why, why would they care? They sided with uh, fossil fuels, just like they tend to do. And there really is no other real way around this other than trying to go probably through the legislative process, but, with how gummed up everything is right now and the failure of this president to do anything about it, I don't think it's going anywhere. And that was a perfect dovetail into the next thing. You're doing very good with uh, these, these segues, Dr. Davis. Uh, you know, we, we, in our very convoluted government, you know, we've got things like the SCOTUS. We've got uh, the House and the Senate. And uh, we've got uh, a very, very slim majority in the Senate, but that has not really benefited us in any way, shape or form because of a certain uh, senator from West Virginia who shall remain nameless, uh, whose last name might begin with M, who has uh, pretty much sided with uh, big oil and and fossil fuels uh, with with, uh, as good as any Republican would uh, in in recent decisions. Uh, And thanks to him, um, and a, a fairly weak president as well, 
um, emergency climate, you know, plans or, or actions are, are getting nixed before they can even, you know, make it to the table. Would you say, Dr. Davis? So when the president tries to get some type of reconciliatory package in order to address climate change and get some congressional traction on that, and it's shot down by one person who's gotten oodles and oodles of money from the fossil fuel industry and comes from a fossil fuel rich state Mm -hmm. and also isn't heavily invested within those coal companies, it's not budging anywhere. And if that's the one vote that's pretty much denying any sort of significant or even minor progress toward addressing climate change, then that is something I don't think our forefathers would have wanted mm-hmm. with one person wielding that much power no. in terms of whether laws or programs get enacted or not. And him also being, like I said, invested in this particular fossil fuels, if they're trying to go renewables and he's blocking it, but yet he wants to get a pipeline going through West Virginia, I think the president should pretty much step in and say no pipeline until you can act on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems only fair to me. Mm-hmm. The uh, world does go to pot, by the way. I, I would blame him. Yeah, I think we could all all blame uh, one or two particular uh, people with with things at this point because yeah, and, and it's like our our they've always said that the uh, the president is the most powerful person in the country or the world, but it's uh, I'm not I'm not seeing that right now. I'm seeing a, a pretty weak president right now being uh, kind of bossed around by one or two people on a power and money trip in the Senate. And so, why hasn't he declared a climate emergency yet? Uh, I was reading several articles where people were theorizing and hoping that he would, but he hasn't. And, and I, I was thinking of something else. I thought of a conversation that you and I had, Dr. Davis, back two years ago when we were at the height of the pandemic. And, and you said, and I agreed with you 100 percent, wouldn't it have been awesome if the climate emergency was treated as 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 uh, seriously as COVID was treated? I mean, it was fantastic that everything shut down. That, you know, everybody, you know, took it seriously for a short time. You know, that's all changed quickly. But, you know, for a short time, everybody took it seriously. Uh, Wouldn't it be great if we did the same thing with the climate, which probably not saying that COVID is not an urgent issue, but is just as much of an issue. Some arguably could say even more of an issue than COVID. Wouldn't it be nice if it was taken that seriously? But it's not. It would be. And if the the climate say was a bank right now. It would have been bailed out long ago. <laughs> Good one. Good one, Dr. Davis. Absolutely. hundred percent. So where do we go from here, Dr. Davis? You know, I always try to be somewhat positive on these weather and climate chats. Are we doomed to eternal hellfire for the rest of our existence or can we do anything? I guess, of course, you know, the old adage is tired as it sounds vote, you know, we need more senators so that it doesn't rely uh, or we need more senators on our side so it doesn't rely on one or two particular people so at at this point i think more demonstrating is necessary i also think that some of my colleagues in the climate science community that are advocating for civil disobedience is another possible option to do essentially they're not doing anything. If you want your planet, you need to 
get out there and cause good trouble to quote yeah. John Lewis. And we, we can try to be positive and say that, you know, Australia, see how we're leading one thing into another here. We're doing really good, Dr. Davis, uh, recently did a positive uh, move. Um, Australia is Australians probably getting tired of, you know, half of their country being on fire uh, and temperatures, you know, well into the hundreds every day. And uh, they had a leader up until recently who was not too unlike Trump in, in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, it was a climate denier. They, they have elected somebody who's a little more progressive and who seems to be taking things a little more seriously. Uh, talk a little bit about that. So the former uh, prime minister of Australia, uh, Scott Morrison, yep. he uh, famously went to the floor of the Australian parliament and held up a bump of coal and said that this is what we are. This is where we're going. It, and sung all these praises about coal because Australia yeah. is a large uh, coal mining country. Yeah. And his government was essentially voted out by the Australian people. And now you have Tony Albanese, that's the current uh, prime minister. And yeah. he's uh, basically promised to cut Australia's emission by 50% by 2030. Good. And I think it's a good template that America could view because you're kicking out a more or less stick in the mud when it comes to climate change and starting to show signs that you're getting serious about this. And I think that's probably where Biden's numbers are suffering in the polls in form of those that voted for him thinking that climate was going to get addressed and showing some very weak signs in terms of climate change. I, I think you need to start being more bold and progressive on this stance. Yeah. I, I, and I, 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 if America looks to Australia and say, Hey, they got deniers there. They love their coal and fossil fuels. And yet they just added pretty much a left, president or prime minister, I'm sorry, to lead them into the future because they're tired of their country catching on fire, the hot, hot temperatures. We saw pictures of their orange skies 2020 shortly before COVID. And then the same thing happened in California later that year. It's a breath of fresh air coming from uh, the Southern hemisphere. Well, that's good. So that's that's a, that's a positive thing, and I think we have to do the same. We have to do the same here. We have to elect progressive candidates, not necessarily just liberal candidates, because a lot of them are corporate and still in the pockets of of big oil. Uh, but progressive, real progressive and, candidates. And the moderates want to try to oh, take yeah. that even keel road, not yep. disrupt anything, in order to get reelected when you're having these problems just seem like they're compounding on a lot of social and economic mm -hmm. avenues and you need to get more in the way of aggressive when dealing with them. Very true. Very true. Good stuff, Dr. Davis. 
Well, we've gone for quite a while here. I uh, want to wrap up today's show uh, with just a quick look ahead. Um, you know, uh, uh, another thing we haven't really talked about at all this year, uh, or, or at least on this on this particular show today, has been uh, hurricane season. Uh, we've already had what was it three named storms, uh, so it's been a little uh, little quiet. But it's been a little quiet since. And National Hurricane Center has no tropical cyclone activity expected in the next 48 hours. But uh, we're still early in the season uh, and uh, still at least a month and a half away from the peak of hurricane season. So we are expecting things to get more active in the coming weeks and months. And the loop current in the Gulf of Mexico is quite warm. And by the kind of the same temperature it was back in the year 2005 when we saw Katrina, Rita, it, it could get, it could blow up rather quickly. Yeah. And we, we saw that in recent years where, you know, these, these storms were almost like on, on steroids. I mean, one, one minute they were a tropical depression and uh, I would take a nap for a few hours and wake up and it'd be like a, you know, a cat three or something like you know, that. Cat three, cat four. It'd be like, okay, wow, okay. So yeah, so just uh, just because things are quiet now, that could be totally different in a week uh, or a couple weeks. So stay stay abreast of that. Um, there have been cases where they've gone from tropical storm to a cat five in about 24, 36 hours. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And we are not here in Pennsylvania. We're not immune to the effects of storms like that. We, you know, likely wouldn't ever see a category five crossing Pennsylvania, thankfully, since we're a little inland. But uh, we could uh, we saw with hurricane uh, uh, or extra tropical system, whatever the technical term was, Sandy, some years back, we saw all the damage she did in this area uh, with many- flooding from Ida last year. Ida. Yep. So we we can and even storms that affect the Gulf. If they take the right track up the mountains, we can get, you know, tons of rain uh, days down the road. Um, we got a lot of rain two years ago with East Taeus. Yes, which everybody had trouble pronouncing there for a while. I remember that storm. <laughs> and the one before that, I forget the I name, but it also impacted us. So past two, three years, the I storm names have influenced <laughs> our not even not area. even past two or three years going back around well, it was about 15 or 20 years we had uh irene. irene irene was big too yeah and i think there was one other i might be missing somewhere along the way but yeah the i store was for whatever well, reason. Well, the i name this year is ian so. okay <laughs> well keep that in mind folks <laughs> uh, we might want to keep an eye on uh on ian we'll see the but, next uh, uh storm name is danielle okay all right well, we covered a lot of topics, Dr. Davis, and did it all within yep. about a half hour to 35 minutes. That's not too bad. I think we did fairly well. Considering uh, and, this is our first one of 22. <laughs> yep. Ending on a positive note, you know, just looking uh, a little bit ahead. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's your fall looking like as a uh, professor here at Kutztown University? What are you going to be teaching and uh, what, what are you looking forward to? I have meteorology, like I usually do in the fall. Uh, I have a physical geography and I got two first year seminars. Cool. So you're going to be a busy man. Yeah. And I'm working on a few more papers. Got some students working on papers. Uh, our regional conference in geography is going to be virtual this year. I got five, six students that are showing interest in 
attending, presenting their research there. So that'll be good too. Good. So looking forward to the fall and just remember to send any students uh, over to us. I'm not sure we can, we can talk off air about that, but if KUR can help you in any way, shape or form, uh, let us know. Well, the spring semester, I got weather analysis and I usually send my students your way to do their weather forecasts. We'll We'll be ready and waiting. So next spring, you'll be hearing the students on KUR. We will be ready and waiting. Awesome. All right, Dr. Michael Davis, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. And uh, let's let's try to make this a little more frequent than once or twice a year, would, would you say? <laughs> I would agree. Because we, we only seem to like gather when the like disaster is pending, like a big blizzard or a hurricane is coming or, you know, half the world is on fire. So let's try to like gather, you know, when, you know, somewhat normal times, which who knows the next time it'll actually ever be normal in the climate. But, we'll, yeah, <laughs> you know, we'll you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon, Dr. Davis. All right. Take care. Weather and Climate Chat is a production of Kutztown University Radio. Follow all Kutztown University Radio podcasts on Spotify.